Welcome, Nut News listeners, to another episode of Nut News. And was that new intro music I heard on my play in there? Well, my guest today is looking at me like I'm crazy because, nope, on this end, there's no music at all. That's all added after editing, so now he knows that I am really nuts. And, well, frankly, there remains at least a 50-50 chance that we're still using that same soundtrack as before, so maybe uh, y'all think I'm nuts, too. I'm trying. Give me a break. You know, just because we started a new episode here on January 1st, or a new season anyways, that doesn't mean everything is changing. But I do have a new-to-the-show guest today, so that's different. Brian Bly. Brian is the director of farming operations at Heart Farm and, among other things, oversees our compost operation. And today he's uh, here to continue our sub-series on sustainability and talk. Drumroll, please. Compost! The black gold to us gardeners and farmers out there. Brian, uh, thank you so much for your time. I I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Alan. Happy to be here. So, I uh, spent the morning out in the yard, you know, and just kind of touring the operation. Uh, and I have to say it was uh, it was quite impressive. We did shoot some video. I hope to be uh, sharing some of that. So uh, if we uh, got our act together and uh, posted some stuff here uh, with the newsletter, check it out. Certainly it'll be up on social media uh, sooner than later. And let me know what you think, because it's all really for you listeners out there to give you that visual perspective. And I really think it's, it's just important just to see the scope and see what we're really doing. So... Make sure you go uh, to live and breathe and see that stuff uh, that we put out there. Um, it really is going to help put today's conversation uh, into context. And about that conversation, Brian, let's dive in here. So we're making a bunch of compost out there. Uh, what are we making the compost out of? Well, all of the compost that we're making here at Heart Farms is made out of the uh, shell, which is a byproduct of the uh, processing that we do here from the nuts that we bring in from the field before they're sent out as, as edible food products. So the shell, I think maybe many listeners out there are familiar with it. It's that really hard fibrous stuff that's right immediately surrounding the the, the kernel. You might have seen them uh, you know, around Christmas time as your in-shell type products, right? And you crack that away and you get to that kernel, right? Yeah. So, I mean, to understand what we're talking about here, if the listeners want to think about a peach, peaches and almonds are very closely related. So everybody's familiar with peaches. So if you think of a peach, when you pick that fruit off the tree, it, it has that fleshy, sweet part that's the edible part that we all eat. And inside there is the pit of the peach. And the pit is uh, something you don't want to try to bite into because you break your tooth. And that essentially is the shell surrounding the seed that is inside of that pit. So in almonds, the outside part on the almonds is called the hull. And that's a lot thinner than on a peach. It's still sweet very fibrous and not really edible for humans. And then inside of that, which would be the pit on a peach, we have the shell of the almonds. And inside of the shell is the kernel or edible part of the almonds. And so the shell is really what we're talking about when we're talking about composting. Yeah, great. And, uh, you know, it's it's a hard, fibrous, almost woody type of material. And, uh, you know, as you point out, certainly not something, I mean, even in an almond, you're not going to want to eat. So yeah, we're making we're making compost out of it, and I'm kind of wondering, can you walk us through like what's the what's the process of making compost with with the shell? Sure. So when we start harvesting every year in about August and September, and we're bringing the the almond fruit, the entire fruit into the uh, processing facility, only about twenty to thirty percent of that fruit is actually the edible portion, and so seventy to eighty percent of that is the holes in the shells. So. We bring those into the plant, and then we have a mechanical separation between the holes 
and the shells and the kernels, and uh, they're all put into different storage facilities. Obviously, the meat's going on for food products. And then the hulls are going off as a cattle feed because, again, they're very sugary, kind of like a, a peach, outer part of a peach is. So they make a great food supplement for cattle, basically. And then we have the shell, which is basic. It has no nutritional value. It's full of potential energy and full of nutrients that are in that state not available to plants, but they're in there. And that's what we're trying to really release. Once we get through the processing and we separate the holes and the shells and the meats, the shells actually go through what's called a hammer mill that's going to physically break those shells apart, increasing the surface area to volume ratio so that all of the bacteria and fungi that we're trying to grow later have places to attach and start decomposing that shell. We're mechanically breaking it down. We're adding the dust from the plant back in with that shell so that there's no waste coming out of the plant at all. It's all going back into that. And then we take all of that and we, we put it into the belt trailers and we take out into our yard and then we create these long windrows that are about 16 feet wide, about six feet tall, kind of triangular shape. And it's, um, it's out there that we start the process of the composting. Um, it's very dry when we put it out there here in California in the summer. There's absolutely no moisture around. It's, it's so dusty and dry. And so the first thing we have to do is try to get moisture into those windrows, which is very, very challenging. And we do this by injecting water as we're turning that compost with our over-the-berm turner, which is a giant machine with a drum on it that spins with paddles. It's physically agitating and turning all that shell. And then we're spraying water inside the chamber as we're making those turns and trying to get water in. I mean, we start out with no moisture in it, and we're trying to get to 40 to 60% moisture. So it, it's a bit of a process getting it in there. And then we continue turning and injecting water. We also inject a microbe package to try to get the microbes in there that we want working for us. And then we just let everything start to go to work and it starts heating up and, and doing its thing. Well, you know, it sounds a lot like making compost, uh, you know, on a smaller scale in the garden. I've said on this show before that I, I'm I like to consider myself a, an avid gardener, and I, I make compost with, you know, lawn clippings, leaves, you know, uh, table scraps, stuff like that. You know, when you talk about the shell coming off of our facility here and going through a hammer mill, right, breaking it down, creating that surface area. And, I don't, and if anyone's dabbled in compost in, at home, you know, if you just, you know, you break up and bag the leaves, they're not going to be ready for you in that spring. But if you were to, you know, run them over with your lawnmower, break them into smaller pieces, you're going to have a, a better chance of of getting what you what you want at the end of the day. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And of course, you know, adding that water, again, uh, same type of scenario in a, gar in a home garden setting um, as well. You know, what's interesting too is you glossed over this, and I, and I know there's some proprietary stuff going on here, but, uh, you know, inoculating with what you want to help break down. You know, in a home garden setting, maybe you have some red wiggler worms you can throw in there. Anytime I've done, you know, brewing and I put my spent grains in there, I get uh, soldier flies, right? And they just go crazy and they eat it, eat it, right? But there's something has to be there, right? It's, it's a living, breathing thing. There's something, right? This stuff doesn't just break down on its own, at least not as quickly as it would with, with some actual organisms eating and digesting that. So, you know, without sharing anything, uh, you know, too deep here, I don't want to pry too much. I see you're smiling, but... I mean, am I on the right track there? How important is what we're putting in as an inoculant? Yeah, and so it really comes down to, you know, when you just talk about composting in general, what are you, what are you trying to compost? And so with the woody 
fibrous tissues that are in the shell, we're really looking for a, a fungal dominant compost and not a bacterial dominant compost because that fungus has the ability to break the cell walls down and release all of that energy and uh, nutrients that are locked up into that shell. So we're, we're really looking for fungus to do the job for us because it's, it's better at breaking down the cell walls in that shell. But, you know, if you're in like a home gardener and you're, you're doing lawn clippings, maybe bacteria is going to do it more for you. So I think the important thing is to put out a good diversity of microorganisms and then they're going to sort it out, right? The ones that are conducive to that environment are going to thrive and continue decomposing whatever it is that you're breaking down, in our case, shell. And then the ones that aren't conducive to that environment aren't going to make it. And uh, it's important to to note as well that um, we're really trying for aerobic composting here. We, we're keeping oxygen in the mix at all times, and that's part of that churning process. And what that does is that allows for a faster and more complete decomposition of all that organic matter that's in there. If you had, as you know, if you've got your backyard compost bin and you go to turn that after it's been sitting for a couple of weeks, the odors that come off of that yeah. are pretty gnarly. It can be rank. Yeah, and that's because of anaerobic decomposition, right? You're going to get things like hydrogen sulfide, which is that rotten egg smell coming off of there, and that's what we're trying to avoid. And so aerated compost piles is really key to what we're doing. Yeah, let me dig into that a little bit because, you know, from – I talk about, you know, having worms or, or soldier fly larvae and in my home compost. I mean, those are I mean, clearly living organisms, right? I mean, they have to breathe. That, that makes a lot of sense. But if we're using a, a primarily fungal application, I mean, does do, do the fungi need the oxygen as well? Yes. Yeah. We want to keep that aerobic as well. Um, and that helps promote the fungi because if you were to let it go anaerobic, really you'd get nasty bacteria that would take over and would displace or kill all the fungi that were still there if they survived the lack of oxygen. So let me change gears here a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll talk in a little bit here about some of the, the, the composting benefits, but I think there's even a step before that. You know, I'm curious as to why even compost the shells in the first place? I mean, are there other alternatives or, or what, what do we do with the shell prior to, to making compost and what led us down the compost path? Yeah, so, you know, years and years ago, all of our shell used to get shipped off for cogeneration. And so there were plants here in Northern California, up around Redding, that would actually take the shell and use it as a fuel source for burning to make electricity. That worked for a long time, but for a lot of reasons that I won't go into, those plants have either shut down or stopped taking agricultural byproducts as a fuel source. So that kind of left us in a lurch with all the shell that we generate every year. Again, you know, we're processing millions of pounds of field-run almonds and a good percentage of that is shell. And so we have to get rid of that every single year. And so we started experimenting with some different things to do with that. Putting raw shell out into the orchards works. I mean, you can put it out there, but it's very, very slow to break down in the orchards uh, without a little bit of help. So that's when we started experimenting with composting. And it's taken us several years to really kind of refine the process to... We're trying to speed up that decomposition process, right? If you just put the raw shell out there, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break down, but it's going to take many, many years to do that. And so by using this composting process, we're, we're speeding up that decomposition process before we even get it to the fields. We're making the uh, nutrients that are locked into that compost into more plant-usable forms so that they can be used almost immediately in the orchards by the plants. And we're also, you know, providing food for microorganisms out in the field. 
So we're taking the the shell, and a natural question would be, you know, are we adding anything else? And, and the first thing that comes to mind is is all the the holes. And, and I know you touched on that as as a as a cattle feed, but you know that's an organic matter too. And if you know it's good for cows, it might be good for microorganisms or eventually our our trees. So, you know, kind of a two part question: are, are we adding anything else to the compost besides you know an inoculant and and, and a shell byproduct? And why or why not? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the quick answer is no. There's a few other things that generally come through the processing, like sticks and leaves that also will get added in with the with the shell and put through the hammer mill with it. But the holes really have an economic value, so we don't want to put those in there. And the other part of that from the purely biological and chemical standpoint is they're chock full of sugar. And so if you were to use the holes in there with the shells, you're really going to spike a bacterial growth, which kind of goes against what we're trying to do to break down that that woody shell material. And so we want the holes because we get a good price for them going to animal feed. And I don't think they'd be really conducive to what we're doing in the long run uh, with the fungal dominant compost on the shell. And then, you know, no, we don't add anything besides water uh, and what comes out of the plant, like sticks and leaves and stuff with that shell. So there's no other ingredients. Start to finish, how long does it take to, for the shell to go to usable compost form? Well, it, it depends on somewhat on varying conditions from year to year. If we get a lot of rain and we can use that free water and turn that in, it seems to go a lot faster. But six to eight weeks is kind of our time frame. And so, you know, we're out there today. And, and again, I would encourage you to go look at uh, some of the videos that hopefully we are we are sharing. But you have compost in, in different phases. You have stuff that you, you know, looks like it maybe just started and you have stuff that's like, man, I, I'd put that in my garden right now. I mean, maybe I wouldn't, but you know, the point is, is it's a lot further, further along. So, you know, how do you monitor that or, and what are the things that you're monitoring as you go through that process? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So there's a few different parameters that we're constantly monitoring and those are temperature, how much moisture content is in there. We actually check how much uh, carbon dioxide is built up in that pile. We have a meter for that. And, you know, you go out there and you put your hands in it. And so we have to get the temperature up to about 135 degrees Fahrenheit and maintain that for about four or five days. And what that's doing is that's killing off any of the pathogenic organisms that could be out there, any weed seeds that might still be in with all of that uh, and really getting that process going. So temperature is a big one. And then the other one is the carbon dioxide meter. We're, we're measuring how much carbon dioxide is building up in that pile because that's displacing the oxygen that those microbes need to stay in that aerated state, kind of like what I mentioned earlier. So once that gets to about 15 to 20% on our meter, we'll make sure we get in there and turn that right away because we want to release that carbon dioxide out of the pile and get the oxygen back in to keep the process going. And so we're constantly taking those measurements and what we'll see as we get closer to the end is the temperatures will start to drop off because the food source has kind of been used off by all the microbes. And then we'll get a stabilization of pH. Uh, we won't have as much carbon dioxide coming off that pile. And things are just really kind of coming to a slow halt. And um, we'll take samples and send them off to the lab. We're checking for carbon-nitrogen ratios. When we start this process, the pure shell, the carbon to nitrogen ratio is about 400 to 1. And we're really looking to get that down to about 20 to 1 when it's a finished product. And the only way that that carbon is 
reduced like that is through the process of uh, respiration decomposition and carbon dioxide being released off those piles. So it, that's one of the biggest factors that we check to make sure that it's done. You know, that's an interesting conversation here because a lot of this sounds like brewing beer, to be completely honest with you, you know, managing your, your sugar levels and what organisms are active and when they're active and measuring, you know, CO2 buildup, right? Because it, it's, it's it, both are very natural process, right? And when things live and breathe and, and eat, and one of the primary things they give off is carbon, carbon dioxide. And, you know, that's interesting because here we are, you know, we're, it's part of our sustainability conversations and, you know, carbon and carbon dioxide, those are those are really important conversations and topics. And so, you know, if we're releasing or allowing that much carbon to be off-gassed as CO2, I mean, is that really a sustainable practice? Well, it is because you got to keep in mind that all of the carbon that's been sequestered by the trees in that fruit came from the same season, right? So it's a net zero release of carbon because the trees taken carbon dioxide, and then use photosynthesis to make all of these uh, biomass products, fruit, stems, leaves, and all that. And then they all come off at the end of the season, regardless, right, and decompose. So there's no net gain in carbon dioxide through the process that we're talking about. It's a net zero process. Well, and there is still carbon there. You know, you measure it, you know, get down to that 20 to 1 ratio. So you, there is still carbon locked in that and that you are putting into the soil, you know, and that might continue to to digest. But I think that that is a really good point here. The other point is, what are your alternatives, right? I, I mean, I'm assuming putting that to a cogen plant, like when you're burning stuff, you're not just putting carbon dioxide out in the atmosphere. You're you're gassing off a whole lot of other stuff. Sure, and it, that was, I think, part of the reason that that came to an end. Air pollution control here in California made stricter regulations regarding air quality, and I think that was part of it. Yeah, and that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. Well, I guess I'm kind of wondering here. Aside from like a, a, a cogen or, or compost or just sprinkling it out there, what are the other options? And I guess maybe the, the, the real question I have here is, what are other holers and shellers doing with this? It's an excellent question, and I, I don't really know the answer to that. So I've heard some different things that are going on. There's a lot of guys who put straight shell back out into the orchards and have been doing that for a long time just as a way to get rid of it. There's a lot of talk around this whole biochar thing that's going on where they're trying to basically burn that down to a pu almost a pure carbon source and use that as a soil amendment and sequester some some of that carbon that would be annually re-released in that way too. And then there's other talks about using shells to strengthen plastics and things like that. But honestly, I don't know if any of those besides composting and putting the shell back out in the field are things that are actually happening. They're great concepts, but I think at this point, from what I understand, it's all kind of still on the drawing board. Well, I guess I was kind of getting at, is, is compost even that prevalent? I don't know. Honestly, there's a lot of people who ask a lot of questions about what we're doing, and there's a lot of interest there from other growers and other processors, but I kind of just stay in my lane in my own my own thing here. So I, I can't speak to what other people are doing. Well, fair enough. Then I guess, you know, when we're at the end of the day and you've gone through the process and you've gotten to a point where you feel the compost is, is done, I'm assuming it goes back in the orchard or what are we doing with it? Yeah. So at that point, which I'm hoping this year in 2022 is going to be sometime in March, we'll actually start trucking this out into the fields, making big piles. And then we have spreaders and we're just spreading that at about four tons per acre back onto the almond orchards. When you spread it on the almond orchards, about what rate are you 
putting that on? I mean, well, I guess the question is like, so you have all this compost, like, are we covering all of our orchards all the time? And is that sufficient? No. And so what I like to do is we have kind of a geographic rotation on our fields. And so every third year, I want to get four tons of compost onto all these fields. And sometimes, depending on how much we have in a particular year, sometimes it might be a little bit less, sometimes it might be a little bit more. But if that three-year process is going to allow that compost that we put out to fully decompose, become part of the soil before we start going and putting it back on again. So it takes three years to come around the horn. Well, and and that might be just a really kind of good place for us to just pause for a moment because now we've gotten through the whole process and we're getting to that, uh, you know, what happens in the orchard. So let's take a quick pause. You and I can go get some uh, refreshments and, uh, and and get a stretch in. And listeners out there, do whatever you need to do. Uh, you can come back with a click for the next episode or, uh, you know, take a few minutes uh, as a break yourself. Either way, Part two is going to come up and we're going to get into why all that compost goes into our orchards and all the benefits that we see. So be sure to stay tuned for part two. And you're listening to Nut News. Nut News. 